I've, I've enjoyed playing here. This has been over 20 years that I've, I've been coming to Royal Melbourne. This way golf should be played. We love coming down under. Look, it's phenomenal to play. The quality of the golf's been great, but the enthusiasm of the people's been the thing that's just been amazing. Tier of courses that I'm willing to shave my neck for in Kingston Heath and Victoria. Get me out of bed to shave. Especially somewhere like Australia in the sand belt, and I have so many great memories of being down there. G'day and welcome back to Australian Golf Passport. Uh, my name is Scott Warren. I'm joined as always by my co-host Matt Mollica. G'day. Hi Scott. Good to chat again. Got lots of good stuff on the menu for today's podcast uh, on the back of our chat with Bob Harrison from a couple of weeks ago, which uh, hundreds and hundreds of you have listened to out there and um, hope that you enjoyed listening to that as much as uh, we enjoyed chatting to Bob about his mm. time in architecture. Yeah, probably... The, the most warm feedback we've had about two episodes has been the two sort of main interviews we've done, one with Clates and one with Bob Harrison. So I think, yeah, the listeners seem to enjoy interviews with, uh, with architects who've got something to say. So, yeah, we really enjoyed having both of them on. So thanks to Bob again. Yeah, he, he did a lot of work to prepare for that. Um, he and, and Scott Champion, his colleague in his design firm. So thank you. Thank you, Scott. And thanks, Bob. Um, Will Watts also had done a bit of a, a chat with Bob in recent times as well, which those interested uh, can, they'll find a link on the Contours Golf Travel Insta feed to that discussion. Uh, mm. So if too much Bob is barely enough for you, you can head in that direction. Well, and we we sort of barely touched on National Moon or in our interview with Bob because there was so much else to talk about. And from what I understand, Will's, Will's feature with Bob is purely about the creation of National Moon. So... You know, I think probably a lot of people would agree Bob's best course and a course that a lot of people have seen. So, yeah, check that out. Absolutely. A bit of wrap-up from those. The last two episodes were sort of a bit of, you know, kind of sat nicer together given that Bob's about to redesign Newcastle with Scott Champion, add, add a few extra holes, make some changes. Uh, we had a bit of feedback and a little bit of something for people who might want to play Newcastle. So... We tried to we tried to come up with a comp for Newcastle and we sort of struggled in the episode and thought it sat fairly uniquely on its own. Uh, and I don't know if they were chatting to each other, but Lucas Michelle and, and Mike Clayton both hit me up on the text with a comparison for Newcastle that I I was like, Yeah, that is a really good shout and I it had slipped my mind for a very good reason and you don't know what this is yet. So I wanna get your your take on the comparison. Okay. They reckon it's got a lot in common with a pre-Renault Peninsula North. Yes. Yeah, that's a good shout. I saw, yep. Yeah, I saw that course enough pre pre-OCCM work to recall it. Topography uh and and the promise that it held. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Okay. Mm. A little bit unmet potential, a little bit of understated hazards and whatnot. I actually haven't I haven't seen the redesign of that golf course. So the only thing I have to go on at Peninsula North is the pre-Renault that I saw in 2011. So, yeah, keen to hear what people, if people think there's something else that jumps out or if they disagree with that, always let us know. Um, then back at Newcastle, People often ask, we've had, we always have heaps of questions about how do I play this and that. And we've talked about Vardens and we've talked about Ivo Witten's in Melbourne. But so Newcastle Golf Club 
has the Fern Bay Classic coming up, and that's on June 26 and 27, which is a Monday and a Tuesday. It's 110 bucks for 36 holes of golf. There's three divisions, so this is not seemingly something you're going to get balloted out of at, you know, a lowish handicap. Entries close on June 16, so you can contact the club about that or you can go onto the My Tournament, MI, My Tournament website in Australia and um, and register there. So great opportunity, you know, 55 bucks a day to play Newcastle in tournament set up, I think is a, is a really great opportunity. Yeah. That'd be that'd be great for those who had the flexibility on a Monday, Tuesday to head out and play rather than go to work. That would be time mm. well spent. And funnily enough, Maddie, speaking of balloting out, I I was telling you a few weeks ago, I was pumped. I was going to play a proper tournament for the first time in a few years. I was playing the Bonnie Doon Open Amateur, and two days before the event, I got an email from the organisers saying, "You've been balloted out." Oh. I was at 2.4, it balloted out at 1.6 and just, yeah, play better. I actually I actually was really in a weird way. I was chuffed by just, yeah, look, you're not good enough. Play better. It was good. It was a nice little kick in the butt. So, yeah, little little hard to take. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Strong and, field. And, and so, well, Blake Ballinger, who's one of the great great men of Sydney golf, who's the director of golf there, when I replied and said, you know, I guess I just better play better, he said, oh, mate, I, I didn't realise you were in the cull. I'll, I'll, I'll find you a game. And I said, no, no, no. The blokes who got a game at the game, I don't want to take someone's spot. But, um, yeah, so very kind of, kind of Blake. But I just got to get on the range, I guess. 1.6. You can do that. You There's can do that few, easy. A few more bits and pieces coming up uh, that we wanted to flag. And one of them, Matty, was the holes that aren't holes event at Port Ferry that you've been talking about here and there. Yeah, so they have an event on the afternoon of Sunday, July 23. Uh, Alex from Port Ferry has been in contact with us a little bit in recent times. Uh, basically nine holes of cross-country golf, uh, three new tees, holes that aren't holes. So we can play from this tee over there, or what about if we played to that green, but from here uh, on the weekend of the British Open, uh, 35 buck fee for visitors. That would be a ripping afternoon. Uh, cannot recommend that strongly enough. I think they might have a couple of spots left, but not many. So those who are interested in that perhaps want to make a weekend of it down there on the shipwreck coast, uh, just get in contact with the club, uh, probably phone the club at this stage to, to reserve a tea time for that competition. But yeah, kudos to the guys at Port Ferry for organising something really enjoyable and novel, and uh, hopefully that becomes an annual event, and I can go and play it next year. Mm. Yeah, Port Ferry is good fun in winter. Yeah, we've we've been down there in winter before. I've been down there a few times yeah. in, in the the middle months of the year, and it's it's been surprisingly pleasant. And you and I get pictures from Shane every so often on a Wednesday afternoon, and it never looks bad. No, it never looks bad. <laughs> the sun's shining and it's not as windy as you think and not as cold as you think. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And there's also a new golf shop in Melbourne, Maddie, for not for people who are hunting a, a Stealth 2 with a you know, Ventus Blue in it. It's for people who are hunting something from not quite yesteryear, yesteryear, but from perhaps a lot of our listeners' childhoods. 
Yeah. So Ross Baker, the the undisputed king of hickory golf in Australia and quite possibly the world, he's dusted off some of the shipping containers full of clubs that he's got. Clubs, books, balls, bags, you name it. And he has a retail space in North Road, Ormond, uh, 497 North Road, Ormond, sort of down there in the middle of the Sandbelt Territory. Um, and he's sharing that space with Henry Cussell, who was a longtime pro at the National and founding pro at the National down in Cape Shank. Henry is a wonderful man and uh, great experience in that retail golf space with apparel and clubs and lessons. So yeah, Henry and Ross have joined forces to have a shop front where they can display their wares and whether it's a hickory club that is really rare and very unusual, whether it's copper beryllium, ping eye twos, something in between. Uh, if you're interested in golf from anywhere between 1890 to probably 1990, that is your shop. Very good. Very good. I'll have to save some pocket money next time I'm in Melbourne because there's a picture on Twitter or on Instagram of just a rack of ping putters and I wanted all of them. Yeah, I, I, I worked my way through about 15 of those slowly but surely, just talking to Ross and you pick one up and roll two balls, put that back, then grab the next putter and have another roll. And yeah, it was... It was really, really good. And 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 Ross will update that that floor stock regularly. Uh, he's got a really, really good collection of um, hickory brassies and irons there. He has an enormous quantity of Australian stuff. So a lot of the stuff that you see on eBay and auction houses around the world is, is reasonably generic in terms of who made it and what it's stamped with, whether it's US or UK stamped. And he has stuff that's stamped from sports stores in Bendigo, Ballarat, hand, drivers and and brassies and spoons that are made by handmade by pros from sandbelt clubs and various Victorian clubs a century ago. Um, just brilliant stuff. So yeah, can't recommend them strongly enough. ATT Golf, all things traded golf. That stands for. They're on Instagram. Um, yeah, if anyone's coming down to the sandbelt from uh, far away and they're going to have a couple of games, they should at least allow themselves another hour, maybe a touch more to stick their head in there and say good day to the guys. Indeed. Now from a free ad read to a paid ad read, it's quarter zip season. And well, and Grace Go Golfing have sent me the best quarter zip I've ever worn. And I'm not saying that because they told me to, I'm saying it because it's the truth. And again, the first quarter zip I've ever put on that my wife has complimented. I wore mine when I made the trip to Ross and Henry's shop and yeah, just loved wearing it. Beautiful fabric. No surprise. Um, beautiful cut, nice collar. Lovely um, high collar to cut the wind out. Yeah. Just perfect. Perfect. So yeah. I was in 40 Ks of Southerly out at New South on Friday morning, catching up with some people while they played a few holes and uh, yeah, it did the job in terms of cutting that wind off my neck and yeah, super comfy, really warm. I think it's the perfect kind of weight for an Aussie winter. Often when you buy Q-zips and whatnot, if you're traveling in the US or the UK, buy one from a golf club, they can be a bit warm to wear because you know, our winters are not really like a Northern hemisphere winter. Um, this is the perfect Q-zip for, for Australian conditions. So another beautiful piece out of Angus and Grace go golfing. 
uh, Angus and Grace Go Golfing on Instagram. You know the spiel by now, angusandgracegogolfing.com online, William Street in Paddington in store. So don't be a stranger to Angus and Grace Go Golfing. They've got a new men's lookbook out as well to complement the women's lookbook that came out before Mother's Day. So lots of new stuff happening. Uh, and and Matty Burns is actually in Italy at the moment for a wedding and I've been seeing his pictures and I'm sure he's gathering inspiration from from the Italian fashion scene. So I'm excited to see what comes next. Yeah, that'll be really cool. He looks like he's having a ball. So Now, we've both played some very good courses since we last recorded together, Scott. I was lucky enough to participate in a swap day. Um, my club swapped Saturday morning T-sheets with Victoria. And it was my first look at Vic for a little while. And I was really, really pleased to say that it was just in superb shape, just an absolute treat to get there. I think I was scheduled to tee off a tick before noon. I probably drove through the gate a tick before 9am. Um, wandered around that beautiful old clubhouse, uh, looked at all of their displays, um, their little serviceable range is really good too. Not too big, not too small, but just a good little spot for a warm-up. Um, it's slightly tighter than I remember it too. You've played there. When was your most recent game there? Uh, it was March 2021. Okay. I'd, um, I don't know, maybe I've got slightly more errant as I've aged, but I'd, I'd a few times thought, oh, I don't have quite as much room as I'd like on this tee shot. So it... And and I in, do notice- you think rough lines have come in, or do you think that you've just, you know, your memory of it was wider than the reality? I think my memory was wider than the reality, and I think mm-hmm. that some of the fairway bunkering, um, look, I might not have been able to reach in times past where it was now in that landing zone, and it was a legit consideration. You must be a better athlete now. Yeah, let's go with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that was just a, a joy to play. I don't think uh, we probably had 125 club members make the trip to Vic for that field that day. Not sure many shot 36 points and above. Mm. Um, I think the greenkeeper had a little bit of fun with us. There were some yep. really really tucked pins, but but all the same, um, yeah, it was it was it was a good test. No wonder it stood up as well as it did during the Australian Open. Yeah. Um, and you'd do that as a super, wouldn't you? Because another club's members can't sack you. So if you want to test out a pin position, swap day is the perfect time. Oh, absolutely. If I was, yeah, if I was the super at Vic, um, yeah, one would be just over the bunker, two would be three on and three from the left. Uh, they would, yeah, they would be right on the margins. Mm. Yeah. Did, so, it, did he give you that Aussie Open uh, pin on the back of 10 that people were just trampolining balls into death on? Close. He was about five foot short of it, and um, I took I took special note of it when I went down to the range. I wanted to make sure that there was a little bit more space behind that pin than I realised. Because um, yeah, you overshoot a back pin there, and you're you're over on the eleventh tee mm. with absolutely nothing, staring double in the face. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of the Aussie Open for me. Was just watching people just obliterate themselves. It was good. Yeah. And they've got the scope to do that on 15 as well. So can can confirm, can confirm, uh, if you get greedy with driver on the 15th tee and you're not that accurate, it's not a lot of fun. Now, so I was going to ask you, 
Talk me through how you played one and 15. So it sounds like 15, the short answer is poorly. Uh, both reasonably poorly, unfortunately. <laughs> um, uh, one started with great intentions and took four iron off the tee and thought, I'm just going to hit something conservative short right and hit the wedge onto the green and then proceeded to make a mess of the first four shots that I hit on that hole until I rolled in a short putt for double. Uh, 15 push drive and hit a miraculous recovery. So salvaged par there. But I was inspired by a playing partner who took three wood and absolutely roasted it onto the back edge of the green. Oh, just down the pipe, and it, it never left the flag. It, it was, yeah, everyone just went back to their bag and reached for driver straight after that and thought, oh, please let me hit the same shot. And Very cool. It. So It's nice when it comes off. Yeah, yeah. Now, enough about my game. You have played several good courses. You travelled north, and you've played three courses that we're going to devote the body of this episode to. In Queensland, it was good. Good to get up to to the Sunshine States. Getting a bit cold in Sydney, so got up there. The locals were saying it was it was chilly, and it really wasn't. But uh, three days up there to catch up with a mate who's relocated a couple of years ago from Sydney. We played Royal Queensland on the Friday. Uh, we played the Glades, which is his club, on the Saturday, uh, which we might kind of cover in detail. I think when we talk about the Gold Coast with a special guest, um, but I love the Glades, so I'm happy to have a bit of a chat about it anytime. Uh, and played Brookwater on the Sunday, which was, I'd played RQ and the Glades once before each. I'd never played Brookwater, uh, and I was really interested to see it. So quite a good weekend and hot off the heels of us having Bob on the podcast. You know, the Glades and Brookwater are obviously part of the, the Harrison Trail, so it was nice to, to follow that pretty closely with a chat with Bob. And a different flavour at each course there. Like they they have their own distinct character and they all vary from one another. So that's a that's a that's a good mixed bag. That's a good yeah, fifty foot whole weekend. Yeah. It was terrific. And you started with Royal Queensland. Yes, I did. Yeah. So um got back to RQ and that was that was partially, you know, we we started and finished in Brisbane because flights worked that way. And a couple of the guys wanted to go and watch Penrith versus the Broncos on the Thursday night at Suncorp. So um, really, really fortunate to be able to have RQ as one of our reciprocal clubs. Uh, and they're, they're always super friendly and super welcoming. So the four of us went on there on the Friday morning. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've said to you in the past, I'm more of a rock up 10 minutes before the tea time when they're calling me guy. But because our tea time was at 11 and my plane landed at 7.30, I actually had... Had plenty of time there to uh, to wander around, do a bit of a warm up, obviously go and pay pay my respects to Clates's one iron that hangs on the on the wall of the locker room from his from his seventy early seventies Aussie amateur win. There's some great old tournament winner photos of like Greg Chalmers who looks like he must be twenty one, and you know an emaciated Brett Rumford when he's early twenties when he won there. So it was good fun looking at that old historical stuff like you were mentioning with Vic. So got warmed up went out there. Uh, I had very good memories of RQ from the first time I played there, which gosh, must've been Feb 2018 or 2019. And, and I enjoyed it even more. I think this time around with a bit of knowledge about the holes I was about to see, uh, but still lots of surprises. Um, I was trying to think about the course 
knowing that you were there and knowing that we were going to devote some of this episode to it. I saw it not long after that OCCM overhaul was completed and the nines are in um, what, what, what I, I teed off with that uh, par four first or long par four first with the fig tree on the right. And that's you play that as 10 now. The yes, correct. Par five, par five tenth is a short five now. Okay. So the first, the first is is on the balcony, the pro shop basically, um, and plays down the side of the range. Okay. And then little short four second. Correct. And then you play along the next few holes with the 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 waterway on your left side. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You head back towards the river. Out towards the uh, the gigantic duplicated bridges that dominate the skyline, and then yeah, you run down the river from sort of I guess it's five, six, seven, and then eight are all are all playing in that direction. And RQ doing a short course Correct. under the bridge. Yeah, so they have that land on the other side of the bridge. That there's been a few different theories on what might get done with it. Um, but quite recently, I think just after Kingston Heath's OCCM short course opened, RQ announced that they were doing doing a similar sort of thing on that side of the bridge. So there's obviously also a few little changes happening to the course ahead of the 2032 Olympics. But yeah, that short course is is confirmed and be cool to see what they do over there. Yeah. There's a couple of those facilities popping up around the country now. And I suppose a club has a bit of a decision to make as to whether or not they want to have something of reasonably consistent aesthetic or similar level of difficulty to their championship level course, or if they want to aim for something that is a bit more of a nursery for beginners and and perhaps less skilled golfers. Yeah, Um, I, I think it's really an interesting... I think it says a lot about how a club sees its purpose. You know, Kingston Heath obviously built a short course that's for good golfers, and I think that that maybe speaks to to that club. Um, and then other, you know, other clubs will, will say it's a cradle to grave sort of thing and you want members to age out gradually from the club and not just decide one Saturday that they can't walk the course anymore and that's it. Hmm. My instinct um, is that RQs might be more of that vein. I've, I've got nothing but ignorant instinct to go on there, but I feel like that might be more of their their approach. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, their main, their their big eighteen, their their big course is a is a really easy walk, isn't it? Oh, it's it must be the flattest, very good course in Australia. Certainly, when people call Kingston Heath flat, you know, compared to. Compared to Royal Queensland, Kingston East, Royal Melbourne West, you know it is, it is completely flat. I struggle to think of a hole that plays up or down any sort of hill. There's there's micro undulation and rolls that have been you know probably largely built by by the architects, and that creates some real good interest in the golf. You know, and plays around with some of the angles and the hazards to create some really fun choices and decisions and tough recoveries. The greens have some really nice movement in them, but in terms of that site, that is a dead flat, you know, it's next to the, it's next to the river uh, and it's your absolute floodplain kind of terrain. So really, I mean, even more credit to 
to Clates and and Mike Cocking and Ashley Mead and the rest of their their crew that made that what it is because you know that was not screaming out to be a top twenty five, top thirty in Australia golf course. And it really is that, isn't it? Like they've got some great short fours. There's there's some beautiful par three shots, both short and long, uh, on the property. There's reachable fives. There's one or two stern fours. You've you've got to be in position off the tee as well, haven't you? Like you- it's a really nice mix, a nice variety of of types of holes, and and the two the two short fours, particularly the second and the twelfth, you know, are genuine decision making, risk reward, drivable holes, really good birdie opportunities. Uh, for one of my playing partners, twelve was a good eagle opportunity, just plonked one in from about forty short, but. But to be able to do that, I mean, it's a perfect example of what's great about 12. There's that narrow little alley down the left of the centerline bunker flirting with the trees. He he knocked his drive down there and had the straightaway little gentle downhill 40-metre pitch to a front pin. You know, not that it's easy to hold those shots, but if he blocks that drive 30 metres right, he's coming up and over a rise across the narrow of the green you know, and par becomes a very good score. So it was just a really good textbook example of having the the bravery and the skill to hit the drive the architects asked you to, and he was presented with a really nice opportunity to get close and make birdie, and he went one better. Good morning. So, yeah, it was actually it was a really cool way to see that that whole play out. And similarly, number two has that great centerline bunker with a high right side and a low left side, and... And you just have to, on that hole, look for the pin, work out where you want to be. You know, there's a right-hand lobe that's a that's basically inaccessible from anywhere but the left-hand side. But every other pin wants you up the right from, from the best I can tell playing it twice. And it is just a perfect example of you can't just bash one up the guts and think you're all good. You really got to play to... How firm is it today? What's the wind doing? Where's the pin? Are the tees up? How close can I drive it? It's all of those great decisions. And I don't know if this makes sense, but I was thinking it's like Royal Queensland sort of course you play with your eyes. It's on an eye candy course and it's sort of visual decisions and intimidation course. It's very much a cerebral brain brain movement course. It's like, okay, where do I tack to next? Where do I play to to get an angle? How far do I need to be from the green for this pitch? It's it's endless, really interesting decisions to make. Yeah, well said. And it is, and it kills it is. me that people say it's flat and it's wide and you can hit it anywhere. I mean, it's just I I really feel sorry for those people if they go there and play it and miss that and just say it's boring. They probably yeah. enjoy the other course we're going to talk about today. See how I we I switched the order. We've got, we've started with Royal Queensland, but we get off on a on the right foot. Yeah, um, no, I mean it's it's honestly just the other thing about it that I really really appreciate is we had four guys that varied between low singles and probably twenty handicap. No one played well. One bloke played played very well. The rest of us didn't play especially well. We mustn't have looked for more than 40 seconds for a golf ball. And apart from if you miss it outside the property going down the river there, or, you know, there's a bit of water on 12 and a, you know, a bit of water, well, the same water on 12 is on nine. 
you know, unless you juice a ball, in which case you're not looking for it anyway, you just walk up and you find your golf ball there and invariably you've got a difficult recovery. You're not just whacking it at the green. But it's just a very pleasant walk, as you said, and it's a very pleasant walk as well because you're not spending minutes and minutes and minutes constantly looking for golf balls that you lose and then, you know, you walk the last 150 metres of the hole with no golf ball and you wipe it and all that stuff that really sucks about playing golf, it's not present at RQ. Yeah, you, you have a chance to find your ball and recover and you're probably wondering if it's a flyer or not, but you're, you're never hacking out a cabbage, are you? It feels like everything's from fence to fence. It's mown to a very manageable level. Yeah. Um, which is something I've always really enjoyed about it. So, um, and- Did you have a, a favourite hole? You mentioned the two short balls. Yeah, they, look, they are they are super fun. I think 17, 17 is a 120-metre par three. A lot like, you know, we've enthused quite often about those sand belt par threes that are on nothing land and it's the bunkering and the green and the relatively short yardage that make them so interesting and fun and challenging and frustrating. And 17 at Royal Queensland is exactly that type of hole. You've got quite a domed little green, sand all the way from from tea to green. It's late in the round. You know, we've talked about that puckering time when you've got a good scorecard. And it just is a lot more difficult than it looks on on first glance. I just really think that's it's a hole that you don't find a lot of places. It's the kind of hole that you can just build. But also you have to have the skill that that OCCM have to build a hole that good, you know, just because it can be done doesn't mean everyone has probably the skill or imagination or art, artistic bent to do it. And that's one of the best ones for me. I just think it's such a superb hole and it adds to the variety of that golf course at just the right time. Hmm. Is it is it seven that's the par five um, with the centerline bunker that's really reminiscent of 12 at Kingston Heath? Correct. Have I got numbers right there. You've got that, that right. That I haven't I haven't played RQ very much, but that that whole felt like that whole centerline bunker concept works better there than it does at twelve on Kingston Heath. It's it's well, it was absolutely perfect for me that day. It was, you know, my drive couldn't carry the bunker, but it could reach the bunker. Um, the wind from memory was coming kind of with us and off the right. So I wanted to drive it down the right of that bunker, but, you know, it was then a case of threading it between the water and the, well, the marsh sort of, I guess it is there, and that Mm. bunker, you know, wasn't really feeling like I was hitting it well enough to do that. So I had to go left of that bunker, which then meant, you know, you can't really get close enough to be chipping onto the green for your third. You've got to lay it back to 80 yards or so. And that's a tricky kind of steep, slightly tiered green with big drop-offs on the right, you know, for that that delicate wedge shot. It's just the perfect the perfect scale. The distances are right for people to have to make decisions yeah. around that bunker. And it is a great example of that fairway from right edge to the left must be 90 yards, but that bunker just creates the perfect headache. Yeah, you want to you want to go down the right. That's the shortest way home, and you, you've got to be you've got to be accurate. Yeah, 
And that it, is a superb hole. And it it works. Like there's enough room to have a comfy bale left off that tee as well. You think, mm -hmm. okay, I can I can wuss it. I can go out there and I know what I'm going to get with my second and my third shots as a consequence of that decision. But there's space. And that it doesn't – the bailout, the conservative play off the tee at 12 at Kingston Heath doesn't really feel um, appropriately easy given that you're squibbing it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, kudos to the – guys in, in getting that hole to work as well as it did. Okay. The thing that I'd forgotten from my first visit, I remembered that I liked the greens. I didn't remember just how fantastic those greens are. And they really do, you know, add some pizzazz on what we talked about is a really, you know, visually, you know, unenticing site. You know, the, the 16th there at RQ is almost like a 16 at North Berwick West Links um, with that great swale through the middle as I mentioned, 17s is sort of domed, domed little turtle back, you know, almost, you know, Pinehurst-like reminiscent. Um, you've just got some really great movement in the greens all round. And it's combined with the firmness of those greens and the surrounds. I think that's what really maximises the angles that need to matter. If those greens were softer, um, if they were a little bit flatter, you could probably come in from anywhere and the people, you know, who decry... RQ was too wide and too boring, might have a point, but it is that firm and the greens are that interesting and the bunkers are that exacting that, yeah, it's the perfect combination. They're not overdone. I think the risk could be that you over-design greens on a course that flat and just the the flatness of the land clashes with the ocean-like greens. You see that certain places, but I think it's just the right amount of restraint, the right amount of daring, they're fantastic. Mm. I knew you'd mentioned 16. That that swale through that green is really artful, isn't it? Just very, very well done. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's a, it's a, gosh, I think I had 75 metres in. So, again, it's the perfect place for that um, in a position where a good player has a sort of club where they can expect to be precise and you're not asking too much. You know, this is not a two at New South situation where you're hitting you know a four iron or a hybrid to that sort of green you're hitting a wedge and so you know if you really want to score and you think you're a good player that's a that's a completely reasonable shot to ask yeah whereas eight's a bit bigger and a bit flatter and you've got something much longer in hand when you play that uh, yeah. par three that's 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 hybrid three iron from memory for me it is and it's probably the least good hole on the course, I think. Yeah. You know, it gets you from it gets you from seven, which is a great par five, to nine, which is another great par five. There's 180 metres of dead ground between the two. You know, the water there, I guess, adds a little bit of of something interesting and challenging and threatening. But look, there has to be a least good hole on every course, doesn't there? And I think that's it at, at RQ. Mm. Um, harking back to one of the sentiments from our very early episodes, if you were going to put together a syllabus for people who either wanted to uh, develop their architectural sense or if you wanted to give people a, a broad range of tastes of golf in Australia, Royal Queensland's the one on their itinerary when they're, when they're coming to Australia, isn't it? Like if they if they if they're going to go to Queensland and play one course, it's 
it's IQ, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're going, yeah, if they're going to Queensland to play one course, it's unquestionably IQ. It's not. It's interesting because a lot of people will go to Adelaide. They'll be in Sydney and Melbourne. They'll go to Adelaide to play one course. Of course, that's Royal Adelaide. Now, Royal Adelaide's top 10 in the country and RQ's 25 to 30 in the country. But I do think that if you are playing a lot on the sand belt and you're wanting to see the variety of Australian golf and you want to see different things, you know, we talk about people getting down to the Mornington Peninsula rather than playing an extra two or three sandbelt courses if they want to get more variety. I would say I understand why you want to go to Adelaide and just play Royal Adelaide because it is that good. But Royal Queensland is is very much unlike what you're going to see on your bucket list belt-notching trip of Australian golf. And, I, yeah, I really think if you can make it work, you'd be very pleased that you went there. Yeah, I agree. It's hard well, to spend other people's money for them, but I just think, God, it's good and it's different. And Queensland's got, you know, a bit of a different culture to the southern states and the southeastern states. I think people would enjoy, if they're from overseas, encountering Queenslanders en masse in the flesh. They're a bit of a different breed. And, um, yeah, oh, I really think people should really think strong and hard about about getting up there and seeing it. Well, Brisbane Airport gets a lot of international traffic these days, doesn't it? Mm. They, oh, they get flights, flights from, they get big long haul flights coming in there. So if people are coming to Australia on a one and done trip and they're going to attempt to see the Great Barrier Reef, uh, they're going to spend some time in the sun while they're up in the northern part of the country. That's hopefully an easy thing for them to slot into their itinerary. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, Queensland punches pretty hard for non-playing golf travel companion interest you know you can you could be staying on the sunshine coast up in noosa or caloundra and you could do royal queensland as a day trip from there it's easy done as a day trip from the gold coast Mm. i did it the first time i played it i was working in um kingscliff down in new south wales north north coast and i drove up to brisbane after work and well i fished a bit early but (laughs) Drove up three o'clock tea time, played it, got back for dinner. So, yeah, it's it's um it's something you can definitely pair with a bunch of places that are nearby if you're travelling for sure. Nice. You were struck on this trip by the um, the hospitality at RQ as well. You're yeah, talking yeah. about the the friendly atmosphere and the welcome that they extended, and yeah, absolutely, and um. You don't get that everywhere at, at good golf courses and, and leading golf clubs. You can have hit and miss experiences with the welcome. And and you might say, oh, it's because I was there as a reciprocal, but even that can be can be hit and miss. I've had two wonderful experiences at Royal Queensland. Um, and again, you, know, you wander inside the bar and they don't know that you're a reciprocal. They just know that you're a face they don't recognise um, and super friendly. Um, and very, you know, we had a couple of a couple of um, curveballs that were like, "Oh, can you help us with this?" And absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I um, I think that's you know one of those little one percenters that 
makes you feel good about a place. Uh, I don't think it overwhelms you and makes you say a course is good when you don't think so. But, yeah, it's very lovely to go somewhere where you feel like they're excited to have you there and they're glad that you visited. Yeah. Yeah, it's always nice. I get that at, I get that at New South Wales. That's lovely. All, all the time. All the time. And and have have enjoyed that for probably 20 years as a reciprocal visitor. And again, they don't know, you're not wearing a badge that says, hi, I've come from the national or hi, I've come from another club. Um, yeah. You're just a face that they don't recognize. And you, you made the Mexican mistake of asking for a pot and not a schooner. <laughs> um, Scott's gone with the cough button there. Sorry. That was, should have given you a bit of warning there. Um, but yeah, I've got to commend got to commend New South Wales for that. They're they're on equal footing with with RQ and a couple of other clubs in the country is is really being exceedingly friendly and welcoming. Which mm. got to give them a shout out for that. I so. think it's it's not hard to be kind, is it? No, no. Or in a good mood if you're working at a golf club. A lot of the time, mm. not all the yeah. time, but a lot of the time. Yeah, that's true. So that was a good start to your trip to Queensland. Indeed. Very good start. How'd we fare from there? Well, we loaded up the car to beat the traffic. We had to have our post-round beers on the move. So uh, drove back down the highway to the Gold Coast uh, and Saturday was was at the Glades. So our first, our first Harrison course for the weekend. Um, I'll save... I'll save detailed discussion of the Glades for when we do the Gold Coast because I think a lot of a lot of it is contextual to the other courses on the Gold Coast and kind of relative and whatnot. But I just think the Glades is such a fun place to play golf. Again, Bob Bob built a heap of great variety there in terms of the threes, fours, and fives and different lengths and different shot types and some really fantastic greens and strategic bunkers on a site that as he detailed when we interviewed him, started off as a highly salty, marshy piece of something that didn't want to be golf. And he had to work very hard on an engineering basis to make it work, but then has also built compelling holes, which there's a lot of courses on the Gold Coast that started with probably similar or even better land and they maybe got the engineering right for those tropical rains, but the holes aren't really that interesting to play. The Glades is just full of really great holes. Um, you know, some quirkiness in that on the front and the back, there are back-to-back par fives, so 6, 7, 11, 12. Um, some really nice little short par fours. Uh, 16, which listeners to the Harrison episode will recall that I asked on behalf of my mate who's the member there how to play 16 because he constantly bombs it and ruins rounds on it. And Bob said, well, I think actually you just drive it right and, yes, you're hitting over the bunkers, but the the green's angled towards you and that's probably the smart play. Uh, So he did that uh, and I think made five or six thanks to a visit to the bunker. Um, That's a frightening shot that Bob recommended hitting. I don't know if that bunker's got bigger that you have to hit over since Bob designed it. But um, I just took the play, Matty, on 16 I had 255 to the hole and we were slightly downwind. So I just decided to hit it to four feet. Which I thought that was probably the easiest way to, to and then and then God I was puckering on the putt. I was 
nervous as hell because you can't drive it to four feet, then miss it. Uh, and fortunately, I just snuck it in the right-hand side. So that was the highlight of my day at the Glades. Uh, there were many other highlights, but it's hard to beat smashing one to four feet on a par four and then making the putt. I don't know your friend Viv. I haven't met him, but um, I can't imagine he was wrapped <laughs> when all of that went down because he's posting double. Um <laughs> But yeah, hopefully, hopefully he's able to do that at some stage in the not too distant future. Yeah, yeah. We, we might get much... him on. We might get him on that Gold Coast episode. Actually, might just yeah. have him just contribute a touch. We should have an episode just dedicated to the 16th at the Glades, and he can. Well, I, I checked in with him yesterday. I said, "How'd you play this weekend on 16?" He doubled it again. Did the same oh, thing. Oh. Drove it right here in the bunker, made double. So that hole, that hole's got got a hold on him, and maybe it's just that I'm ignorant enough of having only played it twice, ignorant enough of its teeth that I was able to finish my backswing. That happens. I remember the first time I played National Old and I was I had a great, great Sherpa, a guy who'd played it hundreds of times, just hit it here, hit it there, take this club, just utterly oblivious to the death that was just around every green complex. And suffice to say I had all that death in my eyes for probably the next 200 rounds. Mm. It just, yeah. It's yeah. amazing when you have someone like that showing you around. It makes me wonder, like, how how good could we be if we had, you know, Michael Greller or Bones Mackay or one of these elite caddies to basically walk us around the golf course and tell us what not to do and what to do and where to hit it and read mm. greens for us. I'd love to know what, yeah, how how much lower the average player's handicap would be if they did that? I reckon it's got to be multiple shots around. Um, Paul Tesori, Gino, if he's not out there playing 2,000 holes in a week. Um, yeah, they're, they're just... They're keeping an even keel. They're they're controlling your emotions. They're, you're playing smart. You're taking double out of the equation. Affirming you when you need it. Yeah, it's got it's got mm. to be multiple shots around. Yeah, I find I play best around my home course when I have a first time guest, and I'm saying out loud, "You want to hit it here. Think about this. Notice this." And I think maybe sometimes you sleepwalk through a round where you're somewhere super familiar. But when you've got cause to call out those things out loud and you hear yourself say it, often I find that's when I bank a good score. Yeah. Well, your, your Royal Hobart round is a classic case in point. 100%. Yep. So. Yeah. Had three very good players who've been members for a very long time uh, and, yeah, just very easy to follow instructions sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on, we're going to save we're going to save the glades for a, a bit of a, a a goldie special, and and we've we've had a little bit on the drawing board in that regard, and we're hoping to have a special guest join us for for much of that chat. We are when we upload that at some stage later this year. Um, you also you also hinted at the top of the episode at uh, Peninsula Kingswood, and that's that's something we've got to do sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm in a in a logistical sense. So my wife is famously supportive of golf trips and and gosh, I have a lot of them and I played five games on our honeymoon, so it's 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 long term. But 
I did go to Hobart for four days at the start of March for my mate's 40th. And then I came down to see you for two days at the end of March in Melbourne. And I was away for three days at the end of May up doing this trip. And it was suggested to me when I was unpacking my stuff last Sunday night that maybe I might have a little break from golf trips. And I think that's probably not unfair given that we've got a six-year-old and a nine-year-old in the house and she's got a full-time job. So, yeah, PK North, it might be a hit and run in a day situation if I'm going to see that this year. Okay. Uh, we might, I'm, keen we to, might. I'm keen to. We've got a great, we've got a great co-host in the wings for that episode who mm. we can lean on pretty strongly as well. So, Unless I can sell Kerry and the kids on the wonders of Frankston for a, for a holiday destination, but we did Kentucky with two girls from Frankston, so I may struggle to sell that to Kerry based on her recollection of, of them. Rupert Murdoch's mum's property is not far. Well, there you is, go. That, is that is that stretching the journalistic links sufficiently? Probably work, not. Work study trip. Yeah. We'll um so yeah, PK North is gosh, we want to do it. As I said, I haven't seen it since well, they rebuilt it. So And South. Well, and, and South. south. <laughs> and South. But Matty, I don't like my chances of doing down and back in a day from Sydney and playing thirty six. No, that's that might be that might be a bit much, but So I might have to be in your hands for South. But uh but yeah, so Yep, packed up the stuff the next morning, headed back to Brizzy, well, an hour and 15 southwest of Brizzy. I didn't realise it was quite so far from, from the city. But Brookwater on the uh, on the fringes of, of Brisbane, I'd heard a lot about Brookwater over the years. Obviously, it's 20 years old this year or 20 years old last year. Uh, never played it. And I was really intrigued based on what I'd seen in photos and heard to uh, to play it myself and, and experience it. It opened with a lot of fanfare, and it was it was opened at that time where courses were coming from Great White Shark, uh, pretty thick and fast, vintage, National Mooner, Pelican Waters, uh, the Glades, Sanctuary uh, Lakes, Sanctuary Lakes. The Grand had also reopened. Mm-hmm. They had a yeah, they had a, a pretty consolidated stretch of some of some significant headline grabbing courses around that time. Uh, lots of the early photography well and truly predated drones, but um, what we were seeing in magazines and and um, the little bit that we saw online was deliberately somewhat reminiscent of Augusta National with towering trees either side of rolling green fairways with big white bunkers. So, yeah, there were there, it did open with a lot of fanfare and it... it probably debuted in ranking lists a touch higher than it well certainly significantly higher than it is now with the advent of so many new courses in the last decade yeah. uh, I remember I've, I've been there a couple of times I stuck my nose in in September last year when I was up on the Gold Coast for a work conference uh, that would have been the first time in probably five years that I had visited it um, but as you said this was your first trip to Brookwater it was. And it's left you with some strong feelings. Yeah, I don't like it very much. And I don't think that's Bob Harrison or Greg Norman's fault. I think when I tried to distill in my mind what they built versus what they built it on, I quite like what they built. I think it's smartly bunkered. I think some of the bunkering is really visually 
quite impressive. Um, 17 green had me thinking about 16 at Pasatiempo, which is maybe one of the most famous bunkering complexes in the world. It looked, it looked, you know, similar but not too overdone. Um, you know, restrained enough but artistic enough. Um, 12 green similarly had that. The green designs themselves were, again, a really steep site, but the greens weren't these cascading waterfalls of tears and swales. They were restrained enough, but they were super interesting. And I just thought what, you know, the the built, if I, to the extent that I could separate that from the land, I thought it was a really smartly put together golf course. You know, the path threes are often on a challenging site where you can really look at that because it's where the architect has the best opportunity to choose a manageable sub 200 meter stretch of of terrain and build build it all um, without being limited by terrain and i liked all the path threes at, at brookwater um, the first of them was the fifth hole was maybe a little bit too steep of a drop shot for my liking i know some people like that kind of drama but the rest of them really i thought were impressive holes they set up for you to have to hit really well-controlled ball flights and shape the ball and whatnot and missing smart places. So, yeah, I, I don't want anything that I then say about Brookwater to feel like I'm shit-canning Bob or Greg because that's not sort of how I feel about the place. But I just feel like fundamentally it's not good land for golf. You've got maybe a third of the holes – for those who know the golf course, I would I would exhibit three, four, five, nine, and ten. I'd call it really unfavorable land. You know, it drops too steeply. Um, it it rises too steeply in landing zones of fairways. You know, even eight and thirteen. So thirteen's the the postcard hole that all those photos you were just describing to sell the place when it opened. You know, they're essentially little half pipes of stormwater channel between the whole, between the houses. You know, they're very narrow. They're very steep on the sides of the corridor. And I would love to go and hang out when Brisbane gets one of its massive downpours because I feel like all of the water in that entire housing estate would probably leave via the 8th and the 13th holes down into the creek that sits at the bottom of the course. Mm. Um, and when you look at an aerial of Brookwater, it's quite clear that, the homes got all of the best land. There was no consideration from what I can gather to giving good land for the golf to make the golf special. Um, the golf is there as a series of very separate little corridors with houses on both sides, at times with two or three minute drives from green to tee. Um, it just felt to me like the people who decided to develop Brookwater didn't really care whether the golf course was good or not. And they hired Greg and Bob, and obviously they did a very good job to build a course that a lot of people enjoyed playing. But I just felt very constrained all day by the land and the just ridiculous narrowness of some of those holes. I think back to the first time I played it with the, and one of our friends who's reasonably outspoken was was critical of the course in spots, particularly nine and ten, 
And I think he might have worded you up prior to you arriving there saying, oh, make sure you see that or let me know what you think about that as soon as you've played it. No, but um, I did, I did, he didn't, but I did text him and I said, I'm on the fifth tee and I don't think I need to play here ever again. And he said, oh. he said, that's strong words given you haven't seen nine and 10 yet. So I knew that there was an extra little something waiting for me and he wasn't wrong. I, I really wasn't having much of what he said after that first visit. And I, I think I was probably a bit of a better player then. And I probably hit a two iron pretty straight off the tee and was very happy playing conservatively and playing straight. Probably didn't hit it as far back then either. And I think I think some of that narrowness escaped me when I, I first went because the most recent visit, I thought, oh, maybe these guys were a bit handcuffed in terms of how much vegetation they could remove from this side. And you would have, in preparing for this episode, I, I just kept coming back to this one little sentiment where if you've started your trip at Royal Queensland, by the time you walked off the 18th green of Brookwater 48 hours later, you would have felt claustrophobic in comparison. You would have thought, oh, this joint wasn't wide enough for the four of us to walk down the centre line of a fairway together in one or two spots in yeah. comparison. Well, we didn't get to test that out because, of course, you can't walk it. Uh we hopped out of the car at the bag drop and, and the fella said, um, I'll get you guys a cart. And I said, oh, is there any chance of walking? And he just said, absolutely not. And I can see what he was talking about because, yeah, it's, yeah, but the, certainly the golf carts were single file going down the fairways because it is very narrow. And it is, I, the distance of the golf ball goes these days. And I think the distance that the golf ball probably already went in the early two thousand in the early two thousands when it was built. A decent a decent distribution of a good player, I think, is still going to be five meters on the edge of that either side is in lost ball vegetation at Brookwater. So I just feel like you are constantly playing defense off the tee because even if you hit a marginal shot, there's a chance you won't see it again. And um, maybe this was just a specific conditioning quirk to when I was there. But, you know, because of the type of land, you're in these little valleys in between ridges where all the homes are. There's a lot of these kind of half pipe sort of fairway corridors where notionally, and I'm sure this was kind of the rationale for building them narrow, is if you're on the border of that corridor, the ball's going to kick towards the middle of the fairway because it's steep. But whether this was always the case or it's it's new or it's not always this way, but Kucherov on those vertical faces, there was a dozen times between the four of us in the round where someone was essentially having a like a T-ball swing at a ball that was at knee height because there's these almost, you know, 45-degree banks and the ball's not feeding off them into the fairway. Kuch just hung on to them. Kuch just hung on to them. So... Okay. Maybe if if the whole corridor is kicking you back into the fairway, again, that's pretty how you go in, in a design sense that you miss it 25 right or 25 left, you're hitting from the same spot as your mate who laced it. Probably not great design, but it's preferable to hitting T-ball shots out of Kucherov yeah. on a side hill. You're talking about feeling a little bit um, hemmed in by the tree lines. Did you feel like the there were multiple tee shots on the course where the topography sort of dictated 
what you hit where you thought, well, I, I want to land it somewhere flat and I'm going to elect to take something shorter off the tee to make sure that I hit my second from that plateau or from that flat spot rather than take driver and end up in a less advantageous position. Yeah, well, yeah. And in so it went both ways because so the ninth hole, you might like to hit maybe a five iron and a wedge, but if you hit a five iron, the ball's going to roll 50 yards back into the water on that steep of a slope that you don't want to be there. So, okay, I'm going to have to hit a forward or a driver up onto the flat and have a 50-meter pitch, which I don't want at the best of times. Um, and then, you know, 15, 15 killed me because it's blind. And, uh, well, so quickly too, when you drive from 14 to 15, you get welcomed with a big sign to Shark Alley. Welcome to Shark Alley, which I just think is just so I, we've talked about, you know, your bull runs and your, there's about 20 of them on the PGA Tour and I don't know they serve a purpose. They don't, they don't do anything for me. Anyway, the first hole in Shark Alley is this blind par four that's a pretty interesting little hole, except there's an aiming post in the middle of the blind fairway and it's a, like about a 360 metre hole. So I thought, okay, well, I'll be safe. I'll hit a forward at the aiming post. And I did that. And my ball was in the hazard on the far side oh. of the fairway in a bunch of tree roots. And, you know, that's got nothing to do with the design. But I think maybe if anyone from the club is listening, you might want to go out and move that aiming post about 25 yards right so that balls that carry it go in the fairway. Mm. Just a bugbear. Mate, I, yeah. And also, you know, it killed me that. So 9, 10, 11, and 12 are all short par fours, either sort of drivable, near drivable, drive and pitch holes. And there's, it's not, this is not a case where an architect said, I just found this stretch of 1.2 Ks of Duneland and it just, their green sites were where they were and I just had to build these four short par fours in a row. This was master planners and developers gave me these four little slivers that were 320 yards long and 30 yards wide. And it's literally all I could do was build four back-to-back short fours. And it just, to me, that was the point where I just thought, like they didn't give Bob and Greg a chance here to build. Now. Yeah, they didn't get Tarity, did they? No. But they didn't even get bloody Stonecutters Ridge. Like at Stonecutters Ridge, they got given some good land to build golf amongst some lesser land to make do. And I get that that's a reality of residential development golf, that developers want to sell home lots and big flat ones sell for more than difficult steep ones. I get that. But that doesn't mean that we have to then say the golf is good when it's not. Mm. And... I don't understand how Brookwater rates in the top 40 in the country. I I honestly, like, until a week and a half ago, my instant answer to what's the most overrated golf course in Australia was Bonville. And Brookwater at 34 is way more overrated than Bonville at 40-something, in my opinion. How'd your high handicapper go at Brookwater? He had gone home the night before okay so we were joined we were joined actually by a 
by a member of the rival rankings panel. So Nick White from Brisbane answered the call for on Instagram too. We've got a spot. Anyone want to play? Uh, so shout out to Nick for coming out. He's a good player. So we didn't get to see how a high handicapper handled it. Uh, but yeah, it was, look, all of us had some struggles off the tee. All of us hit some otherwise good shots that we never saw again. Um, we all had to look, Bob did have probably some control over this. We all did have to negotiate some trees that were between a one landing areas and green sites. Uh, but as we heard from Bob, when we interviewed him, he's unapologetic. That's his thing. So I won't, I won't get into it, but uh, it's there. If you like Bob's use of trees in playing corridors, you should get to Brookwater because there's some doozies. There's a couple, the second, Right on the second mm-hmm. is the one that is most vivid in yeah. my memory. The others are more like you've got these fairways on side hills and 30 yards short of the green on the high side of the fairway on the edge, there's an overhanging tree. So it's not, you know, if you looked at an aerial, you'd say that tree's on the edge, it's okay. But you're hitting off, you know, a hook lie and you want to take it down the right to allow for it to move left onto the green. But... There's there's branchage there and that's not going to work. So, okay. yeah, look, there is there's far more upsetting things at Brook Brookwater um, than that for me. So I won't hark on it. But yeah, oh look, I don't know. I don't like I don't like to just rip into a place. But it's how I felt immediately after. And you know, we've left this recording a bit longer than we maybe intended because I just felt like I needed to debrief and think and i just it's it's not getting i'm not finding more positives and maybe wondering if i overplayed the negatives i just think bob and greg greg did well with what they did there um but it's too narrow it's too steep it's too thick and it's just so compromised by the fact that and now look it looks like a very successful housing development so Full credit to whoever developed it. I'm sure they made a ton of money and I'm sure the members enjoy playing there. It was a really cool clubhouse scene, kind of hang out, nice big deck overlooking the 18th hole and all those sorts of things in terms of a community kind of aspect. Is Ash Barty a member there? Do I remember rightly? Yeah, I think her I think her fiancé or might be husband now is one of the pros there. Okay. I reckon Ash Barty's the club champ. I was going to say I'm ninety percent sure she won a women's club champ there. So, so I just, mate, I just don't, I just don't, um, don't care for it. Um, others will disagree, and that's what's beautiful about this game. Now I've got a game for you. I'm going to work backwards through. I'm sorry, so I'm going to work from top to bottom through Bob Harrison's courses in the Australian Top 100 as voted by the Golf Australia panel. And I want you to stop me when I say the name of a course that you think Brookwater is better than. Okay. Now, Elliston wasn't ranked in the last list because of they've had some drought issues and whatnot and visitation issues. So I'm going to put it, I'm going to, put it first, but you might put National Mooner first before it. But let's work from top of the list to bottom of the list of all Bob's courses. I want you to stop me when the course I name you think isn't better than Brookwater. 
Okay. Elliston, National Mooner, The Vintage, The Grand, Sanctuary Lakes. Mm, it's, it's, better than, it's better than Sanctuary Lakes. There you go. Okay. Uh, so after that, we've got Stonecutters Ridge. Have you seen Stonecutters? Yep. Better than Stonecutters? Less manageable, but better. Yeah. The if you gave me a choice, if you gave me a choice, yeah. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd go to Recorder before I went to Stonecutters Ridge. And the Glades. I might go to the Glades before I went to Brookwater. Same. So Glades yeah. ranked 75. You stopped me. So you stopped me between Grand and Sanctuary Lakes. Grand is 59 in the country. Sanctuary mm. Lakes is 67 in the country. Okay, outside the top 50. And as I said, Brookwater currently sits in 34th place. I don't know where the enemy's got it, but I think it's similar. wonder where Pelican Waters sits in that. It's one that we'd need to... Well, it's hard to sort of... That's a good question. To, hard to do that with them at the moment. I don't. I think that Pelican Waters was left out of the 2022 ranking we did because of the redo. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but if you want to, if you want to pad, I've got the twenty twenty mag in front of me as well. So let me try and find Pelican Waters for you. My memory is well, that you it can, would... you know, you can pad by telling us the story about Brookwater and the six ninety MB oh, five iron. Yeah, first visit there, I'd uh, I'd, I'd pushed my tee shot on that 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 signature hole downhill par five thirteenth, just into the light rough sort of tree line sort of rough. And I had this wonderful vanity handicap and some beautiful shiny chrome-plated 690 MB blades that were matching the vanity. And I thought I'd just hack my second out of its unfavourable lie. And I bet you had a staff bag then too, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Nice new Scotty Cameron <laughs> with it. And, uh, and, and yeah some Footjoy Classics on at the same time and uh, thought, yeah, I'll just, I'll just hack this ball out of the light rough and uh, it'll, it'll just tumble down the fairway and I'll, I'll hit wedge on and then get par from there and took my swing and made contact with two things at the one time, my ball, but also this sizable quartz rock that was at least the size of half a house brick and both objects just went screaming down the fairway. And by the time I realized what had happened and my hands had stopped hurting, I'd looked at my nice five iron and uh, had a massive chunk out of it. And I've still got it downstairs. And I lovingly refer to that iron as Scarface these days. Very good. I was licking the wounds for a long time after that and could not order a replacement five iron fast enough. But I think mm. I think my playing partners were howling for probably three holes. So that's that's my memory of the maiden voyage to Brookwater. So but Very my good. memory my memory of Pelican would be that it would probably rate more favorably in that late twenty teens edition. It would rate more favorably than the vintage, but it would probably be behind Brookwater. Yeah, so Pelican, I found it at 74 in 2020, oh. and that was out from 54 and 55 in the early 20-teens. So okay. it had slipped a good 20 spots in 
gosh, like six years. I don't know if that was more to do with the change of the panel or the change of Pelican Waters, but obviously they're, they've sold some holes for housing, which never tends to mean a better golf course, but I don't know what sort of land they got in return. So, um, yeah, so that's that's probably in the – would you choose Pelican Waters before Brookwater? No. Okay. So you've got essentially – Stonecutters, Sanctuary Lakes, and Pelican Waters behind it. And you've got the Glades, the Grand, the Vintage, National Moon, and Elliston in front of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're all more manageable and all probably courses that, that I would find a bit more enjoyable. Yeah. Well, and in, in Sanctuary Lakes, Brookwater, and Stonecutters Ridge, you've got three golf courses that only exist because someone wanted to sell houses. Yeah, yeah, and and full credit to the guys from well, I don't know if it was Medalist back then Macquarie, or if it was other mm. parties that were involved in the property development, but they all seem to go gangbusters. And as you said, Brookwater likewise. Like this, there's, there's there weren't very many empty housing lots around that course for no much time. So well, and it's it's the Sharks' home state. You know, he was still an absolute god in the early 2000s, 2002, you know, right after the Sydney Olympics that he'd played a pretty big role in um, promoting and, you know, it's in Queensland. I'm not surprised that that, you know, was the go-to designer for the Brookwater developers. Mm. I'm more surprised given how busy they were at the time and how, you know, they basically specialised in building courses that, that rank, that Greg and Bob said yes to Brookwater than Brookwater wanted Greg and Bob. Yeah. Um, you've never seen a course in the Goldfields region of Victoria that Tony Cashmore did as a collab with Robert Allenby, of all people. It opened as Forest Resort, but it's in Creswick, and RACV now own it. I've seen pictures of it, and I've heard feedback on it. I won't all, ever play it, I don't think. I don't think you will either. Um, for all of the criticism and the negative comment we've made about Brookwater, they're comparable quality sites and they've had different budgets, no doubt. But Brookwater laps Creswick mm. in terms of resultant course quality. So they haven't exactly made a silk purse out of a sow's ear, but... Uh, you can you, you can give that Harrison Norman design team some praise by saying, gee, this could have turned out a lot worse than it actually did. Yeah, totally. I mean, we talked with Bob in the interview about how he made so much out of sites like Sanctuary Lakes and the Glades that had absolutely nothing to offer him, had nothing going on. And this is an example of what he made out of a site that had way too much going oh, on. Oh, look. The, I can't remember if I said it in that discussion with Bob, but there's some pictures within that Sanctuary Lakes clubhouse of the site prior to course construction and i understand his his prowess with the architectural um process and the engineering drawings and and looking at contour maps within a foot but the the achievement of of, of ending up with what he has at sanctuary lakes given the quality of that site at the outset of that project, that's that will forever amaze me. 
he's really he and his team have really done something there. Yeah. So well, and maybe in in the opposite sense, that's my positive takeaway of Brookwater is, you know, Bob and Greg created some some good golf where it maybe shouldn't have existed. And that's a visually awesome. striking course too. Yeah. Well, that is true. That is true. And that's sort of the visuals, I guess, was where when I started trying to clutch for comparisons in Australia. And I kind of thought of courses like, well, Bonville, I think, is is a sibling to Brookwater in a few senses. Um, in a in a and this is not this is not a comment on equal quality because the aforementioned friend will burn my phone down with text, but like a little bit of national old in that it's too dramatic in some places and that really strongly affects playability, but you're not going to forget that hole. You're not going to forget you ever played it, um, even if it is a bit much sometimes. Mm. Mm. It's tr- Yeah, his, his first comment will be that it's triple the width. Yeah, and I'm saying kind of thematically and character-wise, I'm, you know, similarities. Yeah. I'm not saying it's it's as good as or not as good as. Um, I think the way I felt playing the playing at Brookwater is how I've heard a lot of people refer to playing the cut in that it looks sublime to in a photo but is just compromised architecturally to accommodate that and, you know, you're sort of just getting around the best you can. And difficult to manage for many golfers, just automatic reloads with some mm. errant errant shots. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I, I had thought of that. I had a few thoughts in the immediate days after year round, and, and that was one of them. That's a, they're, they're not aesthetically similar courses at all, but yeah, the that's a that's a good shout at the same time to look at those similarities between the cut and and Brookwater. So, so there you have it. Um, I'm glad I went. I'm, I'm glad, glad you went too. I'm glad I'm, I've was... seen it. You know, like. Again, and I think I've said this on this podcast previously, but I would always also rather a golf course that makes me feel something versus just something utterly forgettable. I would much rather, you know, it gives you frames of reference for when you see different things. Um, Yeah, it's. I'm glad I went there. I'm glad that we made it part of the trip. Uh, There'll probably be enough years that pass that I convince myself I should go back and just second guess myself and 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 kind of check myself maybe i'll feel differently you know maybe i won't um but really glad i saw it and you know it 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 does provide contrast certainly to royal queensland you know they're more different than stephen mark war those two places yeah i'm keen to see if the queensland listeners agree with your views on the course and agree with what we've said or if they come at us and call us heathens and we don't know what we're talking about and how dare you. Mm. And I'm not sure what way it's – I'm really not sure which way it's going to go because I imagine there's some out there that love it. So I am looking forward to the feedback on that. And look, I'm open to hearing why people like it if they like it. I feel pretty comfortable with why I feel the way I feel. I'm not really shopping for different views that I can make my own. But I'm open to, you know, if people have a big a big soft spot for it, I'm, I'd love to know why or 
um, what it is that appeals and what other courses they really like because maybe we just like very different things. Yeah. Um, they must sell so many golf balls at the turn. Yeah. If you went if you went rummaging around one afternoon, you'd you'd fill a shag bag in a heartbeat, I imagine. Mm. Mm. So. Lots of TP fives and Pro Vs that have been hit three times. Yeah. All right. Well, we might wind this up. We can yeah. uh, we can close with the promise of of a uh, of a banner episode next. Uh, just getting just getting messages back from someone overseas who may join us for the the next episode regarding a chat on a very exciting he saw on a recent episode oh sorry on a recent visit to australia so that That is very exciting yeah i'm really looking forward to that and i'm sure i'm sure a lot of listeners will too so all right thanks scott very good until next time thank you everyone for listening and maddie good to see your face